Prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me, and the breath of life that I made. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. But the wicked are like the tossing sea, for it cannot be quiet, and its waters toss up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Please be seated. And I just have to say, the best sermons that are preached this morning, I think, are these little kids' voices. And I'm so glad they're here in church to be able to listen and glean. And who knows what's being learned and absorbed and taught, even as they're part of God's uh, congregation this morning. So, so glad everyone is here. And I, I love our, our little children as we think of the Christ child and then the baby Jesus. Um, one song, it's hard. This is a side note. Uh, it's just, what do you do with a song that says, I forget which Christmas hymn, but it says, the little baby Jesus, no crying he makes. And I asked our kids in Sunday school class, do you think baby Jesus cried? Because he was a, wasn't a sinner. They're like, of course he cried. He cried when he needed his bottle. He cried when he needed his diaper changed. And, and, and it's amazing to think that Mary changed God's diaper. And Jesus was a human like we are. His fingernails needed to be cut, however they cut them. They didn't have the little things like we have, but Jesus' body was as much of a body as our body. And you think about that. It's just, it's amazing that God would inhabit a body to come and live and and die. As C.S. Lewis talked about how he wrote himself into the script. So that was just the free part. Now, I'd like us to look at our text this morning and to think about this idea and this understanding uh, when the angel came and said, uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. And we sing that. And I did some research and I thought, why? Why do we stop with that? Why is it peace on earth, goodwill to men when the text says, peace on earth, goodwill to men among whom he is pleased? The NIV, if you're carrying that good translation, says, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And there's not an idea and not a promise, and I want us to hear this and understand this. It's not a promise of Jesus came, now every single person that ever breathes air has peace. There is that identifying clause that that John read this morning from Luke 2, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. Uh, I believe, and as I, as I thought about why, I looked back at the King James, which is a wonderful Bible translation that I cut my teeth on and memorized and, 
and grew up with, does just say, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill to men. And what it is, and this is just a little, a little freebie, uh, as we find all these thousands of translations and fragments of scriptures, um, we see that uh, uh, the overwhelming evidence of the text has that clause in it. The critical text versus what they call the Texas Receptus, which we get our King James from. And again, the two are so alike that we can't, we don't, no, no need to doubt our Bibles. But these texts all include the earliest ones, peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. That's a good Christmas message. We need to understand there is a clear distinction in Scripture, a clear distinction, absolutely clear distinction between those who are recipients of God's goodwill and God's grace and those who are not, who are enemies of God. There's, we talk about common grace. We know the rain falls on the just and the unjust. We know that every good thing that we get to enjoy, uh, non-believers enjoy a good day as much as Christians do. But there is a special favor. There is something about peace on earth on whom God's favor rests. And so we're talking these three weeks about the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel, the people who uh, God is comforting. And we have to keep that in mind, uh, Christians and non-Christians. And God's favor rests on you, Christians. Throughout Scripture, this clear distinction is is evident. Uh, Listen to this. Uh, And there's a warning against just saying peace to every single person without even explaining Uh, what that means. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11. Uh, God is is angry at his prophets. He says, they've healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Ezekiel 13, 10. uh, God talks about his prophets. He says, because, precisely because they have misled my people, saying, peace, when there is no peace, and because when people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash, saying to those who smear it with whitewash that it will fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind will break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said to you, where's the coating with which you smeared it? Um, That would be like me as someone who, who... must tell the truth from Scripture. And you say, listen, I'm really doing better these days. I've turned over a new leaf. I've done this and I've done that. And I'm hearing all these works things. And you're saying about all your good works and the way you're trying to do better. And, and you're, you're telling me and you're looking for me for encouragement that now you're right with God because of all you're doing. And that would be like me whitewashing that and, and, and trying to reinforce that when I know that good works will not save you at all. In fact, that can be a false comfort. And, and what happens when that wall falls? All of my whitewashing that wall did that wall no good and did you no good. So we're thinking about peace this morning. And we're thinking about God's comfort for God's people. And we're saying this is comfort and it's peace 
on who God's favor rests. Think about that this morning as we look at these uh, three points this morning. I was having a problem with my eyesight. And I went to my optimist. And my optimist said, don't worry. You'll be able to see really good really soon. Well, I didn't need an optimist. I needed an optometrist. Now, an optometrist who is optimistic would be nice. Uh, We'll take that. But I needed the optometrist to look and see what's going on with my eyes. Someone who says, peace, peace, when there is no peace, is that optimist when you need an optometrist. We need the words of God, and there is a a good dose of optimism. Uh, It's all positive, but it's got to be based on biblical truth and theological fact. So I'm here this morning to say that Christmas is the most beautiful, wonderful thing that can ever have happened to God's people. But there is no ultimate spiritual good for you in Christmas or anything else if you're not a Christian. One of those on whom God's favor does not rest. Then it's just temporary good feelings, and I'm glad you get those when you see the lights and and get the presents and give the presents and all. But what you need from Christmas and from understanding Jesus is you need the truth. And then as you seek God and his kingdom in that, all these things will be added to you. I have to say, I love the way that that C.S. Lewis did it in the Chronicles of Narnia. I, I absolutely love this. And you remember, if you, whether you've seen the movie, because they put this in the movie back then. I, I, I would shudder to think if they remade the movie, what, it, what would be left in and out. But in the original movie, and the children are running from the White Witch. And remember, it was always winter and never Christmas. And that was a description of that barren, cold, frozen land. And the children are hiding from that sledge that the White Witch is driving, and they hear the bells and the jingling, and they cower in fear. And finally, one of them peeks out, and I forget how it is, and they go out. And you know what? It's not the white witch at all. It's Santa Claus. And Santa gives them gifts, and it's good, and they celebrate Christmas. But Santa Claus is not Aslan who's going to set them free. Santa Claus is just the good that comes that lets them know that Aslan is on the way. And we look at Christmas, and we can enjoy everything good about Christmas. It's up to you how you and your conscience and your families and homes uh, approach Christmas. But we know that Christmas is Jesus, the bringer of real peace, and even lets us enjoy wonderful, positive myths and, and, and things that go on in this world. So listen, Christian, I'm going to talk to you this morning about peace. And listen, non-Christian, I'm also going to talk to you about peace from God's word. Three points this morning. One is a particular kind of peace. Two, peace to a particular people. And three, peace that is particularly one-sided. That's a tongue twister. 
I wrote tongue twisters on the board for the ESL class. They all took pictures of them. We had them talking about she sells seashells by the seashore and, and, and things like that, and it was fun. This could be a tongue twister, but you think about these three things, about peace and the particularity of peace. So the first point, a particular kind of peace. We've covered a lot of this already. We'll move uh, a little more quickly here. But first, I want us to consider and understand if the peace that were declared by the angel about Jesus' birth, if that was a universal peace, that would make God a colossal failure. If what the angel promised, peace, goodwill to men, and if that is a universal peace for everybody who's ever lived every hour of of their life, that would mean God is a failure or God is a liar. Either one is not a true solution. Because we know, don't we, that not everyone is always at peace all the time. We know, don't we, from Scripture, that people die in their sins and there is no eternal peace uh, for them ever. Even here in our life as Christians, we have periods in our life when we say, God is in his heaven and all's right with the world. I love it when I can echo that and when I live that. And there's times where we feel that. No, everything is just right. Everything is just right. And that probably means we haven't watched the news for a few days or something. And it means that, that there's some hell uh, issues maybe in our family that we don't know about yet. But everything is just right. There's times of peace. But we also know other times where we say, God, where are you? Where we say like the psalmist, wake up, dead man. That's in scripture. The psalmist crying out to God, wake up from your sleep. Don't you even see what's going on? A believer said that. We believers feel that and maybe we dare to say that. And we know our lives are not 24-7 peace. We look to heaven for that. And aren't you glad that you didn't get to live in heaven. Let's say the average lifespan is 70 years. It's roughly that, I think, globally. What if you had to live in heaven for 70 years and then come back here for eternity? Think about how terrible that would be. Nobody would want to leave heaven. Think about that. But we get to live here for 70 years. We get a picture of heaven. We get to see it. We get these glimpses. And we look forward to an eternity there. There's a particular kind of peace that's being proclaimed by the angel at Jesus' birth. The angels were either liars or they'd been lied to or we misunderstood them. If we think they were saying, now that baby Jesus has been born... No one will have any more troubles anywhere. It's talking about a particular kind of peace. Jesus is called uh, from the start the Prince of Peace. That's one of his names in Isaiah 9 6. We sing it when we sing along with Handel's Messiah. Prince of Peace. But what did the Prince of Peace say with his own words recorded in Matthew? I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Don't think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
That's quote from Jesus. How can the angel declare peace and Jesus say this unless it is a particular kind of peace he's talking about? And what kind of peace? What is the peace that he's talking about? I would say this, and think, think with me, stay with me. He's talking about an internal peace for his believers that is a reflection of the eternal peace that is to come in heaven. There are so many passages where the word peace is described in Scripture. I, I think it would be a good exercise. Um, I, I go to a site, and, and this, the ESV is on there. It's for free. Crossway.org, I think it is. The, the Crossway is the one who publishes the ESV. But you could, it doesn't have to be in the ESV. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for one translation over another. I'm just saying this is the one I looked at. 17 pages of 20 references where the word peace has been translated from the Hebrew and Greek into English. And let it overwhelm you, just the thought of peace. Where is peace in the Bible? And let it sink in. And then ask yourself, as you're looking at those scriptures, what kind of peace is the Bible talking about? Particular, what kind of peace? God came to make peace. In heaven there will be peace and no war. When we become Christians, something happens. And inside of our hearts, and we, uh, like the old uh, spirituals saying, I ain't going to lay down my sword and shield. I ain't going to study war no more. Peace. And even as Christians, when we go to war with each other, at least that conscience, that Holy Spirit in us, tells us we're doing wrong. And it's hopefully it's not long. Sometimes it's too long where we repent of that as Christians because we want to make peace. We don't want to have war with people. There's a peace that's spiritual. We pray when somebody dies, uh, and we don't just say it as a cliche. Uh, I said it to, to my friend Jackie, whose mom died of COVID, who had the funeral last week. Uh, may God give you peace that passes understanding. We talk about peace that passes understanding. What, what, what do we mean? We mean peace that the world doesn't understand. There's a peace that God gives. It's a particular kind of peace. The angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. And we're talking about that kind of peace. God came to make peace, first of all, between humans who were at war with him. And the cross made peace and brought us into a right relationship with God. And then it expanded out to peace among human beings with each other as God comes into their life. A couple may be battling with each other within their marriage. If both are truly Christians seeking God, uh, there's all kinds of hope that I can give. If one is, but one is not, that's hard. The Bible says you do your best in that. But there's peace that can happen because people are believers with each other. And they're united with each other because of the particular kind of peace we're talking about. I had a friend. I'd say, how's it going? And it was tough on him. And he loved the Lord. His wife didn't love the Lord. And she sure didn't love him. And I'd say, how's it going, friend? I won't even give his name, even though it's way back in Mississippi. 
he'd go, it's quiet, it's quiet. And his definition of peace was, it's quiet. <laughs> and it was peaceful in, in a human definition. He just needed quiet. But that's not the peace that we're talking about. We're talking about a peace that Jesus' birth brings that is supernatural. Uh, we have words for it. We have hunger for it. We long for it. And Jesus is the one who gives that. Or God saying it right. God gives that to us through Jesus Christ. It's a certain kind of peace that is promised because of Jesus' birth. Uh, a few highlights from Colossians 1, 15 through 23, talking about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So the baby in the manger the, 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 who grew up, who went to the cross, who died, who ascended into heaven, he is the image of the invisible God. He's God. Jesus said, and one of our, one of our men on, on Wednesday mornings uh, shared a couple weeks ago, and I've not forgotten this. I've said, this is so good. He said, um, he said, I love that verse in Scripture where Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that was an enlightening verse of Scripture to help us to understand this big concept that the world would call a concept. We'd just say God, person of God. But you see Jesus, you see the Father. Who is Jesus that we celebrate the birth of? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And here's this part about our sermon today. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The peace that Jesus came. So peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom his favor rests. There is a, a supernatural peace that was not possible without Jesus that is now not just possible, not just probable, but certain for all the ones he came to save. I was thinking about that song. This guy, I've been listening to a lot of his music lately. He's got a song that starts out, he goes, I'm a chemistry of flesh and water and blood and guts, a savage disorder. I made the wrong turn, and ever since then I've been looking for my father. And he's asking, uh, when will the sunrise be? When will I find that light? And the whole song just points out to him looking and seeing that cross on the hill and, and finding real peace with this savage disorder that he is. That's our biography too, by the way, if we're Christians. In our text this morning, we see the promise of peace. Look at Isaiah 57 that we read, verses 16 through 19. What does God say to his people? He says, I, verse 16, for I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. For the spirit would grow faint before me, the breath of life that I made. Skip down to uh, verse 18. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I know he's a sinner. I know he's a rebel. I know he's at war with me, but I've seen his ways and I'm going to heal him. 
I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and the near, says the Lord. So we are talking. First point. That's the end of that first point. Get this. It's a particular kind of peace, not peace in general, not give peace a chance, not all of those things. It's peace that is spiritual that God gives. And that's the hope and promise of Christmas and Jesus coming. Secondly, and these overlap, I know that, but peace to a particular people. So a particular kind of peace and peace to a particular people. So yesterday, Paula and I got to go hear a group of carolers. And that Elizabeth... I tell you, we were impressed. She had her caroling book with her brownie troop, and she was singing. And she was smiling like she meant it. And it was so good to see Elizabeth caroling. It was good to see you, Elizabeth. It made my heart feel good to walk away. But they sang this one song that I always, as a kid, sang wrong. Elizabeth got it right, but I got it wrong. Good tidings we bring, and I always said this, I sang it until I was how old? I don't know. Good tidings we bring to you and your king. Because bring rhymes with king. I didn't understand what kin was. And if it was supposed to be kin, it would be good tidings we bring to you and your kin. Because a song has to rhyme, right? That's what I thought. And I never understood and got that right. And I heard it wrong all of my life. Until a certain point. And I said, oh, Songs don't have to rhyme, they can be close. And kin means kinfolk, and, and you're caroling, and, and you want figgy pudding at the end of it, and you're, and you're singing, and you're bringing good tidings to you and your, your, your family. Okay, good tidings. But you can hear things wrong, and you can labor under the wrong uh, thought and be close. Went to a basketball, a women's basketball game this week. Emma's looking up at me. I said, hi, Emma. Emma said, hi. She went out and played her heart out, but didn't look up at me during the game. I said, goodbye, Emma. And she smiled, and we had a good talk about it this morning. That was a good women's basketball game to, look, to go to this week, and I'm going to go to more of those. But I had a game on the radio, and the Iowa Hawkeyes women's team is really good this year. We got this Iowa girl, Catholic, went to Catholic school, Dowling, and outside of Des Moines. Caitlin Clark, and boy, she pours it in. And I like to follow Iowa women's basketball. So I had that game on. They were playing somebody. And you know how sports language. Um, Coach, it's going to be a real battle tonight because they really battled hard, and I'm proud of my girls. They battled hard. And then the announcer will go, well, they really battled for the rebound and battled for the loose ball. And the word battle is all the time. So I wasn't really paying close attention. I was, I was doing reading or doing something else, but I had it on, and I was following it. And I kept hearing subliminally, battle, 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 battle. And in my brain, somehow my brain that could do two things at once, said this game is a real battle. Then I turned my attention to the game toward the the second half. And you know why I was hearing the word battle all the time? Because the opposing team had a girl on their team named Battles. And that's why the word battle was just coming. We can hear things and we can kind of know and we can be in the close context of everything. And the game was a battle and all that. But that's what I was mishearing. We do that with Scripture. And we think we know what the Bible says. And we think we understand God. And we 
kind of pay half attention in church or singing or in our thoughts, but we think God is somebody that we just have to, by our works, we have to please him. We've got to make him like us. And that's our default mode for everybody, even after we've been Christians, even after God has saved us and we've repented, we put our faith in Jesus and we, we meet with the elders of the church and we say, Jesus alone, and we say the right things and, and, and we mean them. But we fall back to we've got to please God. And that's our thing, just like me not knowing good tidings to you and your kin. We think we know what it means, and so we go, yeah, 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 yeah. Battle, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. God is saying in this passage, you are not going to please me by your works. It's my initiative on you. And so we get to a passage like this, and, it, and, and we get to this thing that says God is angry. God says, I was angry. I, would, I will restore him. We hear things wrong. And we are oriented toward works salvation. God's angry. We sin. I bet if I sin less and even get to the point where I stop sinning, God won't be angry with me anymore. And we live that way, like a family member. Oh, if we can just get the perfect gift for him or her. We can just scrutinize their face when they open it. We can get some clue if we got the perfect, you know, stop all that stuff. Or we treat our family members sometimes. I'm mad at you. Okay, you did that little thing to kind of make up for it. I'm a little less mad, but I'm still going to hold. I'm still going. And we have to work our way into. And we play these stupid little games with each other. Thank God that He doesn't play those games with us. Does God love you? Did God send Jesus Christ uh, to to be born, live sinless, die, take your sin on Him? Did he save you? Then you don't have to worry about your status with him. So I get to a passage like this. I'm like, ooh, how am I going to preach that? Because it, it would seem on its surface to get us back into that mode. We could misinterpret that. We could be half listening and think the game's a battle when, when the Hawkeyes are really winning by 20 points and it's just some girl named Battle on the other team that's doing the whole carrying the weight for her team. Um, Thankfully, there was a guy named John Calvin. (laughs) I went to him. He helped. I think this will help us all this morning. That's why I put it in here. Calvin was talking about this language in Scripture. And I want us to understand that Scripture to us, uh, Scripture to us, uh, that's God really, really, really condescending to us. Because he wants to communicate to us. If God talked to us uh, like, if the Father talked to us like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit communicate, we wouldn't get it. But God talks to us. I'm thinking of of little Luigi. Since he's here, I'll use him as an illustration. Uh, I I saw, Luigi, how are you? Oh, Luigi, here, eat your food. And And we talk baby talk to Luigi. We talk baby talk to Brian. Uh, even to Noel. Noel's two. You can't give Noel a, a, an explanation for a 20-year-old yet. Noel's a smart guy. When Noel's 20, he'll have to talk down to, 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 to a lot of us, me included. I know that. God, when he gives us his word, 
talks down to us. He condescends to us. And that's not an insult to us. That's because God loves us. He's talking baby talk to us in Scripture. So when he talks about things like this, uh, we have to be careful that, that, and understand he's talking to us in this way for this reason. Calvin helped on this. Okay, so, so listen to what Calvin said about this. Uh, in verse 17, where God says, I struck him. I hid my face and I was angry. Okay, listen up. Calvin says, he means that his favor was in some respects withdrawn and hidden for a time. Calvin says, now he speaks according to the opinion of men because as we've already said, we imagine that God is an enemy and is angry with us when he punishes us for our transgressions. And it is necessary that we should have those views and conceptions of him that we may arrive at a true acknowledgement of our sins. For we should never acknowledge him them sincerely or be distressed on account of them if we did not reflect with ourselves and know that we had provoked God's wrath. But while it is desirable that we should be led to repentance in this manner, we must beware. Beware. Okay, we're thinking about this. Beware. Uh, on the other hand, lest in consequence of imagining that God is hostile and unwilling to be reconciled to us, we should be swallowed up by sorrow. The prophet, Isaiah, therefore restrains these immoderate terrors and forbids us to judge God according to our natural disposition. For although he chastises us, he does not cease. This is what you've got to get. Though God chastises us, he does not cease to cherish a father's love and affection toward those whom he has once embraced. I said, what's an illustration? How can I illustrate this? Uh, Imagine from a little kid's perspective, and the parent is taking the the kid to the mall. The mom's going to take her her daughter, her son. Let's say a mom and her daughter. Mom's going to take her son to the mall. She loves that. That's her son. She carried him. She felt the kicking of the feet. She gave birth to him. Uh, she changed his diaper. She fed him. She loved, she loves her son. And the son's getting older and son's trying to learn obedience. And she's going to take her son to the store to buy him a little gift because his eyes light up if he sees it on a commercial on TV or his friend had one and he played with it so much and she knows her little boy would love that and he's into whatever it is, whether it's balls or trains or trucks or whatever. She's going to get him something. And she goes to the mall and she's all excited. And the kid disobeys. He runs out in front of the, 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 the cars in the parking lot to get to the store. He won't stay with her. He's picking things up and throwing them. And she's loving him and saying, come on, come on. And uh, finally, she says, this ain't ain't working. (laughs) Something's going to happen that's not good here. And she takes him so he can't run back out in front of people or get snatched by a stranger. And she walks him back to the car. She puts him in the car and there's no toy or no gift. And the kid goes, oh, mom doesn't love me. Mom's mean. Mom hates me. Mom doesn't. Well, you know what? Uh, There's a picture of a loving God. Her love for him never ceases. Maybe down the road he gets that gift. Maybe she 
calls somebody and says, pick that up, or husband or somebody, or, or calls somebody or picks it up on her way to work or whatever. Maybe there's some, but the love never ceases. But it seems to the kid from his perspective, mom hates me. No. And we can tend to say God hates me as we're paying for our consequences of our sinful life. God never stops loving you. But boy, when these things happen to us and we're out of line with God, what does the Bible say? Who God loves, he chastens. My dad, he was a, he was a tough old cop. He spanked. Back in the day of spank. Didn't spank too hard. He would say not hard enough. Um, but he, he chastened. One time we all were outside the church and there was this bush with these beautiful white flowers. And all the kids, the parents are inside talking, drinking coffee, and I were probably eating some weird variation of Jello because we all ate Jello salads in Iowa after church on Sunday nights. And all the parents were, and all the kids were out. And I don't know which kid started it, but one kid started pulling those flowers off the bushes. And pretty soon, we were like locusts, a swarm of little kids. And we just pulled all those flowers, just swarms of kids. Ooh. Those parents came out and they saw those white flowers on the ground and all those kids. Well, my dad punished some kids for that. Whose kids did dad discipline for that? His own. Six of us. Even little, well, five. Kay was a baby. Even little Danny. Danny, did you pull a flower? Yep. Uh, God does. Did dad hate us at that time? No, he didn't hate us. He loved us. Don't lose sight of that. If God loves you, God's going to bring you back. He never stops loving you. Okay, you got to got to get that 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 point. That was the that was the second point. That was peace to a particular people. And even though the the point I was trying to make and the point that Calvin helped me with and hopefully was helpful to you is that even though it doesn't seem like there's peace in this world, even at the back of it, because you have a loving God and a loving Father, there is even peace that you can see in that and will see in that. He's the one that comes and brings peace to his people. Finally, peace is one-sided. And all all I was trying to say by that is, I can't say to you, God is restless right now. God lost sleep over the way you acted. God is not complete until you you get on your knees and repent. I'm saying God is fine. God is complete. Father, Son, Spirit, eternal peace, eternal. There's nothing lacking in God. There's big theological ways to say it that are good and right, and I would encourage you to dig in and and find those. But what I'm saying to you is, you're the one who needs the peace, not God. And God brings you the peace. Peace comes from God. God brings peace. I will restore, I will bring. God is not the one in danger. God didn't say, boy, if, if Mary would get her act, there's nobody in here named Mary, right? Good, I didn't think so. God's not saying, if Mary would just get her act together, I could finally have some peace. I mean, we feel like that with our kids, if we've got a lot of kids. 
And boy, if everything's going right with one or two of them, but there's one or two of them that are, are, are not, we're happy for the one or two, but we are hurting. What I'm saying, though, is God does not lack anything, and there's nothing you can do to complete God. But God is ever willing to complete everything that you lack. God is the one who brings the peace. The one who needed peace is God. I heard a relative one time, and because his heart was right, and because the end, what he was going the end that my kids were gonna hear from him was gonna be the right thing. It was gonna be Jesus. I didn't rush in and correct him because I didn't want him to correct him and get into a theological fight. But but one relative was telling my girls, he says, God was lonely, so he made people. And then I knew where he was leading. Uh, that lonely God made people, then he was sad again when Adam did what he did, and then he sent Jesus so he could not be lonely anymore. And I knew enough to know God was not lonely. There was eternal, but I, I let that go. I could correct that later on in the course of their lives because I loved this man who was wrong in that, was right when he said, you need to confess and get right with God, and you, you can have fellowship with God. So, so that's... For us to understand, God was fine. God comes down to give you peace. You're the one lacking and in need if you're not a Christian. And we are the ones who need the peace that God brings. Uh, Isaiah 57, verses 14 and 15. It shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who's high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says, I dwell in the high and holy place. I am high and holy. That's where I live. I'm holy. But I also come down and dwell with him who's of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is a high and holy place. Thank God for the fact that God comes down to us in our need to rescue us where we are. We are not high and holy. We do not inhabit eternity. But God brings it to us. God makes us holy through Jesus Christ being our substitute. And God takes us to that high and holy place for the rest of eternity. That's the point. Those are the three things. Now, application... Jesus is the consolation of Israel that Simeon waited to see in the temple. We talked about that last week. Jesus is the one who would bring peace to all his people. That is good news for each of us as we imperfectly make our way to an imperfect world. And for those who are enemies of God, who are not recipients of God's peace, I'll be the optimist for you and the optometrist. Uh, listen. God said he would bring peace to the far and the near. Verse 19 of our text. If you're far off, God brings peace to people that are far off and probably from our human perspective, farther off than you. Or you want to look at it a different way. You know yourself and you know how wicked you are in your own self. And you know even after you've been Christian, saved and become a Christian, you know the things you're capable of, and you can say, if God will save me, which he did, then he'll surely can save her or him.
listen, if you're tired of a life, as described in verse 20, like a life tossing on the sea that cannot be quiet, waters tossing up mire and dirt, well, there's a solution to that. Jesus got on water and said, peace be still. He can come into the water of your life and say, peace be still. And, and his word, Jesus, can be the one to save you. Verse 21 says, there's no peace for the wicked. Well, then do something about the wickedness. Let Jesus bear your wickedness in his own body on the tree. And you make that great exchange that is called for in Scripture. His righteousness for your unrighteousness. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so we could become the righteousness of God. And that's your optimistic Christmas hopeful message today. That's where you receive your peace. So peace on earth, goodwill to men on whom God's favor rests. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for peace, for real peace, peace the world doesn't understand. Thank you for the pictures we see of it now that loved ones who've gone on before, who've died in Jesus, uh, are seeing now in its fullness. We thank you, Lord, for making peace between us fallen creatures and you. Thank you for your great love for us, your people. Lord, we thank you that there's no one who would call on you that you would turn away for any reason. Who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So thank you that we don't have to be a certain sex or a certain skin color or a certain uh, nationality or a certain uh, economic level on this uh, frail earth. We thank you that it's the contrite of heart that you've said in Isaiah, the ones who come uh, humbly repenting and calling on you that you give this great peace to. So we thank you, Lord, for being our Prince of Peace. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered unto you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me.